Uh, moving on to our, uh, our new series. Um, our new series is, is what we did last year. We started this pattern, and we're going to continue this. Every time we get to this time of year, as we roll into this time of year, how many of you have seen a uh, Christmas commercial already? Yeah, how many of you have listened to Christmas music intentionally already? Yeah, those are my people. I, did, I got criticized last week in the office because I had Christmas music playing, and they came in and I'm like, are you serious? It's not even Halloween yet. And I'm like, it's the choir of Westminster, and it's like cathedral music. It doesn't, and they're like, it doesn't make a difference. And so, uh, yeah, I love this time of year. And one of the things that this time of year does is it, it elicits a lot of emotions for us. But as we roll into this Thanksgiving corridor into the Christmas season, one of the things we focus on a lot of times is giving. You know, it's Thanksgiving. We think we we, we thankful and giving. We thought, talk about giving. We talk about being thankful, and it's this experience in our life that that many churches either are criticized because they only talk about it too much, or some churches, like in my experience, because I'm scared of it, never talk about it at all. Um, and, and one of the things we have to talk about our life of being thankful and being givers. We have to talk about being stewards. We have to talk about this aspect of our life because it is central to who we are. In fact, Jesus talks more about stuff, possessions, and money in the scripture than he does anything else. And, and so it was important because it has the ability to control us in ways that nothing else does. It has the ability to, um, to grab us and, and, and make us put our hope in stuff rather than putting our hope in God. And so this time of year as we're moving into this Christmas season, what I wanna do is I wanna focus on, on, on this life, money, hope aspect. And that's what this series is entitled, Life, Money, and Hope. And how do we balance those three things together? It really comes from 1 Timothy chapter six, the scripture. People who want to get rich or you really could translate this many different ways, have a bad motivation for pursuit of money fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. People who have a bad idea of what money is in the pursuit of money fall into this life that causes ruin and destruction. For the love of money, and this is one of the more famous scriptures, is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Because of money, people walk away from Jesus. This is a red flag and a reason why we should talk about this. Because we have different ideas of how to handle money. In fact, we don't know a lot of times what to do in a, in a supernatural way because we're all consumed with the natural way. And, and so today as we begin this series, what I want to talk about is the supernatural side of things. Is, is moving beyond the numbers. And, and thankfully, because I am horrible at numbers. Does anyone ever remember um, the, the Saturday Night Live um, skit with Gerald Ford? It was supposed to be Gerald Ford. I think it was Chevy Chase playing it. And his line was, I, I was told there'd be no math. Does anybody remember that? That's my life verse, is I was told there'd be no math. I mean, I, I just, me and numbers, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes where it says two are better than one. That's my kind of math. I get that. Two are better than one. I'm in. I'm, I got that. Once you start expounding upon that, I start getting a little shaky in things. In fact, I, there was a time in my life where I was a teacher. I was a fifth grade teacher. And I don't know if you know what fifth graders know about math, but it's nothing, right? I mean, you can, it's very low level math. My college degree is in, I have a bachelor of science in interdisciplinary studies. 
which is a really fancy way to say I was geared to teach elementary school and the math classes that you have to take in college to teach elementary school are Jane had two pies and she sold one to Dick for $1, right? It was that kind of math is what I'm telling you I took in, in college. So I'm teaching fifth grade and I'm like, this is a, I, just, I hate this. I love the kids. I hate the bureaucracy and the parents and I, I don't get paid anything to teach. Teachers say, amen, y'all get paid nothing. Um, and, and I was like, I just, I want to go make money. So I'm going to go get an MBA. So I take the GMAT, um, and which is the test you got to take to get into grad school. And, and then I applied to UTSA and I got into UTSA cause I was going to continue to teach and take classes at night and be one of those students. And, and so I sign up and I go into my first class, my first, um, it was an accounting class and I sat down and, and I, I like, I don't know if y'all are like this, but like, I, I didn't get the textbook yet because uh, I'm just going to go in and see. It's not like I'm preparing to go into class. I just walk in and I sit down. It's a graduate level class accounting and I sit down and the teacher starts talking and I'm looking around at people taking notes and I'm like, is, is he talking English? Like, is this the bilingual class? I don't understand what's happening right now. I, I had no clue what he was saying. He was throwing out all these terms and stuff and I'm like, this is... This is accounting, this is like, I'm gonna have to learn this stuff, I'm out, so I was done. I was a road runner for a brief second, beep beep, um, and, and I was out of there like the road runner was, right? I was like, oh my gosh, math is so hard. Um, I am more of a, uh, this lady in England once called me a man of letters, and I was like, yes, I, she goes, are you a man of letters? And I was like, yes, I, I don't even know what that means, but I'm totally that, because there's no numbers involved, right? So. <laughs> I, uh, I am not a math person. This is all to say I'm not a math person. So when you begin to start talking about finances, finances have numbers involved and numbers scare me. And so finances sometimes scare me. And, and I get into this thing where I can let it control me or I can grab hold of some principles and control it. And this is something that Jenna and I have had to do in the course of our marriage. And recently we've reevaluated everything and come to new different determinations and paths that we're on because of all of this. Because we wanna live the best way we can with the stuff that God has given us. We wanna honor the way that God has blessed us and the way that we live our life on all levels. And so we're reevaluating things and going, hey, we're not living very well in this way. And so maybe we need to change the way we do things. But, but there's five things really that financial planners will will point to you when you're trying to figure all this stuff out. There's five important things that you look at. The first thing is earning, right? If you don't have earning, if you have no money coming in, there's nothing with which you need to manage, right? There's nothing that you have to manage if there's nothing there. There's nothing you get, so you gotta earn and you have to find a way to earn money. This is something that is contrary to the belief of many millennials. Sorry, it's just, slow hanging fruit, right? Um, and, and even the generation behind them, right? Like, okay, young people, you can't make money being a YouTube star. Just, it's not gonna happen. Like, well, people do. Yes, it's not gonna be you, though, right? It, it, it is, <laughs> some parents are looking at their kids right now. Thank you for looking at your child. You, Ninja, who, yes, oh my gosh, the, if you saw the head snap of some boys right there. Some of you older people, you don't know who this, this is a guy with colored hair who makes millions of dollars, I think, playing video games. You're not ninja, okay? Get a real job. I, I had my first job when I was um, just a teenager in junior high, and I was close enough to this driving range where I could walk down to the driving range. And I worked at this driving range, and by the time I left in high school, I was the guy just gave me the keys and goes, here, run it. Now, don't picture Top Golf, 
when you hear driving range, okay? Picture Tin Cup, for those of you who have seen that. There was like a trailer where the dude lived who ran it. It was beat up, just, it wasn't grass per se that you were hitting from. It was definitely not grass that you were hitting towards. Um, and the tractor that you picked the balls up on was this 1940s Ford tractor that you had to spend about 30 minutes just to get it going. And it was this makeshift chicken wire um, like cage. By the way, I don't know if you've seen chicken wire in the size of a golf ball. They're about the same, right? And so he had it kind of overlapping, but if you've ever gone to a driving range, what is the most fun thing you can do at a driving range? Hit the guy on the tractor, right? And so when you're out there, I would literally wear a helmet when I would get on this tractor to go out because sometimes balls would come through. Um, it was a horrible job. Um, but, and then when he would leave, I'd have all the candy bars I wanted. So it was actually, it worked out. But um, so, so my dad, when I started working there, took me to Wells Fargo Bank. And Wells Fargo had just bought uh, one of the bigger banks. That we, I lived in Fremont, California. One of the bigger banks in California, which was Crocker Bank. I wish I had been there a few years earlier to have a card with Crocker Bank on it, Michael Crocker, and just show that around to people. Oh, you're a Crocker? Yes, I am. Yeah, don't look at my account. Um, but so we went into Wells Fargo and he set up a savings account for me and a checking account. And that was my first account. And he said, look, some of your money's going in this side, some of your money's going in this side. What you do with that money, I don't care. It's your money. But as long as you're putting money in here, I don't care. And so I began to build this stuff. And, and the more I earned, I realized the more I worked, because I'd have time there to do my studies and whatever, and I, I did homework and, okay, I had time to do homework, you know. Um, I, the, the more hours I took, the bigger this number got. And when I got my first car, that number became really important to me, right? And so I, the, the more I earned, the more I could do. The more I earned, and, and so you, I had to find a way to earn more to do the things I wanted to do. And that comes into the second principle, which is spending. The next thing you need to focus on is spending. When you have that money, then you're going to spend that money. And we need to be intentional, intentional about how we spend money, about how the money goes out from our, um, our accounts. The vast majority of Americans live life without a budget. And at the end of the month, they're like, ooh, what are we gonna do now? I don't know. And stress just piles on them. And so you, you do earning, you do spending, and then you do saving. You have to put money aside. It's a biblical thing. The proverb uh, writer says this, in a house of a wise person are vast stores of wine and oil, but the fool has none. The, the, the wise person stores up these things because you don't know when you're going to use them. Um, the average American um, is operating on a month-to-month -month basis at over 100% of their income, which I don't, again, I don't do math very well, but I can do that one. Um, so saving, and, and it starts small and then, and, and then build. And then the, the fourth principle is, is around investing. As financial planners will tell you, once you get to a point where you're earning and you're spending and you're saving, you're kind of in balance, then it's kind of a fun area where you get to let your money work for you. And, and you invest in certain things that maybe you believe are gonna take off or, or maybe you, um, you, you believe are going to benefit um, something that you care about. And, um, and so the principle here is time is your friend, not the amount, right? And then the fifth thing, which financial planners, some, some of them will focus on depending on their background and their beliefs more than others, but it's giving, is what do you do with the money that you have? Um, the average American gives away 3% of their income on a yearly basis to charities. The average Christian, 3.5%. 
um, of their yearly income to charities. Um, the, the, the number of, um, the percentage of money that goes uh, today is less than that of the Great Depression era to charities, uh, which is um, surprising, a surprising number to me. And so these are the five things that financial planners will say, you need to get these things kind of in order. And they give you this like natural way of thinking about things. These are how you should think about them. And if you do these things, these things will happen. And that's wonderful. And, and they build their, you know, there's probably some financial planners in here right now. There were certainly at the first service. But sometimes we need to look beyond the natural to the supernatural. Sometimes we need to realize that because we, we believe in Jesus Christ and, and we're sons and daughters of God, we're called to a different way of living. And this just, just isn't around our financial area, by the way. This is every area of our life, that we need not look at only the natural aspects of this world, but we need to remember that we live in a supernatural world where Jesus Christ died and came back from the dead. And so we need to see things in that regard. The book of Haggai is, is where I got that scripture from for today. Haggai chapter one. It says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. This is what the Lord says. Think about what you are doing. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put your clothes on, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He says it again. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about what you are doing. Think about it. Because what you're doing is going down a path that isn't filling you. There are the ways of this world, but maybe there are some principles that are supernatural, that are outside of this world, that, that are from on high, that if we gave our life to that, it would change everything. If we decided to live our life in such a way that we focused on things of God, everything else would change. Paul says it this way, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And so if we are to give careful attention to these things, maybe we need to pay attention to what God says. And so let's focus beyond the numbers on those five things. Earning. Earning, there, there is this mentality that you get as many jobs as you can and do as much as you can to earn as much as you can. But what that does for families is it breaks them apart. Like I wanna make more money so I'm gonna uproot my family and move to another place. I'm gonna stay at the office to make as much as I can to close that deal and I'm never gonna see my children so that I can have as much as I can. So there's, there's a balance and the supernatural aspect of this would be would be to, to balance compensation versus calling. Calling versus your compensation, right? What's more important? No amount of money is going to give you fulfillment, but finding what you were made to do in this world and doing it, that will bring you fulfillment. It doesn't mean that if you are called to do something that makes a lot of money and you're finding fulfillment because God created you to do that, doesn't mean you have to be poor. It just means that if you're focused more on the money than you are about what you are doing, you're focused on the wrong thing. That calling is so much more important than compensation. What I was chasing when I went to go get my MBA was compensation. And God said, <laughs> no, I have something different for you. I have something bigger for you. Calling 
versus compensation, Paul says this in the book of Acts. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if I only may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. It doesn't matter what I do on the face of this earth if I miss the reason God put me here to begin with. We need to supernaturally think about earning in those respects. Is a, pay, is a bigger paycheck worth the sacrifice you will make in your family or your life? The second thing, principle, is this um, about spending. It's contentment versus consumerism. It's this idea that, uh, of, of balancing these two issues, contentment over consumerism. As we come into this Christmas bombardment of stuff where everything is going to be about what you need to buy for the people you love, and if you don't buy this, you don't love them, uh, that's going to be more and more, and you're going to think about how you can show how much you love somebody by what you give them, which is kind of what we do around Christmas. At least that's what they want, that's what they want us to do, right? Have you ever, think about um, back in your childhood maybe, or, or maybe even more recently where you, you come out and you see the Christmas tree and all the presents underneath it and then your family sits down and you tear the packages open and you get excited for a brief moment and at the end of the day those toys are broken and thrown aside and never used again. Has anyone ever gone through that scenario? No, because you're all perfect gift givers. That's great. So proud of you. Right, you have this and this is a constant thing every year across America where people try to show they love by buying, by consuming something that is here today and gone tomorrow. You know who, you know who gets this contentment thing? People that don't have anything. You, you ever been on a mission trip? You, you go on a mission trip to a, a, a third world country or something. I, I used to go to Costa Rica um, um, multiple times in a row um, and and we'd go down to this one little neighborhood inside the main city, and it was a neighborhood that was just a shanty town. I mean, it was one metal thing just leaning up against another to create homes, and it was just all stacked in together. And I know you've seen the images. If you haven't been there, you've seen them on the news. Of These, these towns exist everywhere. And, and you go into this neighborhood, and we were told that we can't leave the compound without um, people with us um, because we were clearly Americans and, and had just shoes and stuff, and we would be attacked for them. Um, and so for me, that's a challenge, right? I'm like, well, I'm going, <laughs> you know, let's go walk, you know? Um, and so we, we go out in these places, and what we found was um, these kids who would, who would be running up and down the streets, and they would be kicking like a flat soccer ball. I remember that this, they were just kicking this thing, and I'm like, man, that is so miserable. They were having the best time. And they would run up to us, and, and they speak Spanish um, in Costa Rica, I'm sure you all know. And so, and we'd have this conversation. My Spanish is good enough to, to get by in, in situations like that. And, and we'd be given these big hugs, and they're like, are you up at the church? And we're like, yeah, are you going to come later? And, and just this great joy of just seeing us there. And, and then you get home, and, and you hear things like, there's no batteries for my controller. Oh, it's so boring. There's nothing to do here. Right? People who get contentment. It's realizing that fulfillment comes from not what you want, but from being thankful for what you have. That's contentment. It's finding this place where, man, I, I am blessed. I am so much better. You may remember this from the, from the series last year. We are so much better than the rest of the world. So much better off than the rest of the world, financially in every different way. Contentment is being thankful 
for the blessings that you have. Contentment versus consumerism. The third thing about um, saving is this idea of, of being God-dependent versus being independent. Being dependent on the things of God rather than the things of this world or even yourself. As, as the Proverbs writer says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too great to scale. See, what we do is in this saving thing, is, and savings are good and we all should be saving in some way, but if we put our hope and our trust in that savings that I will one day amount enough wealth to take care of any problem that can come across my bow, we've put our hope in the wrong thing. We've put our hope in our money and our ability to save rather than our hope in God. Again, the best people at this are the people that have nothing because they don't trust in their money because they don't have it. They don't hope in their savings because they don't have one. They hope and trust in God. So we need to look at where our hope lies, where our dependence lies. Is it truly in God who will provide all things or on ourselves? We said this statement last year. I will, put, I will not put my trust in riches, but in the one who richly provides. I will not put my trust in riches, but in he who richly provides. The fourth thing on investing is is stewardship versus ownership. It's a change in our mentality of how we see everything. If we begin to see everything as a gift from God, our finances, our, the, our gifts, our resources, the very breath that we have, and we begin to say, if I have just been given this by someone who owns it to manage it well, to leverage it for the kingdom, it changes how we move and operate. It changes how we do things. If we begin to see ourselves as stewards of what God has given us, rather than owners, we begin to take care of things a little differently. As, as stewards, we, we leverage what we have to bring into other people the kingdom of heaven. The scripture that Jesus tells is, the kingdom of heaven is, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. When we realize the calling of our life, when we realize what really matters in our life, we will use everything we have in pursuit of that. The fifth thing, and the last thing that, um, that, that, that financial planners will talk about is, is the giving side of things. And here it's, it's generosity versus misery because the opposite of a generous person is a miser, right? And, and if you look at those two people, some of the most miserable people on earth are misers or the stingiest people. I mean, it comes from the same root word, misery, miserable miser. You have this, um, this, this tendency when people hold everything back tightly to themselves and only focus on themselves, they miss the joy that comes with opening their lives to others. You see it time and time again in literature and movies that the miser is the person you don't want to hang around with, right? Nobody ever said, man, that Scrooge guy, before he made the change, he was awesome. Everybody likes post-ghost Scrooge. Nobody wants pre-ghost Scrooge. Uh, Paul writes a letter to Timothy, and he says this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, so what Paul is pointing to here, to Timothy, telling this pastor Timothy, he's like, hey, the people that you have under your care, command them 
to live a life of generosity because when they do, they will experience life like they've never experienced it. I have to tell you, you all get this. You all understand this. We have a very generous congregation. We have a congregation who, I don't know if you remember it, last year at Be Rich Sunday, we, we started this thing last year. And, and what we said is the second Sunday of the month, and it was following this whole series we did on generosity and giving, we were going to everything that we took in the offertory plate that day and everything that we took down in Fellowship Hall when we focused on a few different ministries and, and outreach uh, things that we are engaged with, we're going to give away. We're going to send it right outside the doors of St. Andrews. No, no dime, no penny is going to stay with us. It's all going to go to these different ministries around our community and the world. On that day, um, and, and I have to tell you, for a church, December is a big month. Um, I, you may gather that, right? I mean, that is the, the most time in, uh, that, that people begin to come back to church is at the beginning of December, and it swells around Christmas Eve. It is also coincides with um, our biggest giving month. We get almost a third of our budget in the month of December. Think about that. One month, a third of our budget, almost a third of our budget comes in the month of December. And yet, we chose to take one of those Sundays out and to give it away. Um, and, and this was a gamble. I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous about this. Um, but I felt like it was a big thing. On that Sunday, we gave away almost $25,000 there should be an audible gasp in this community. 20, almost 25,000, on one Sunday, almost $25,000 to Agape, to Convey, Convoy for Hope, to, to different ministries that we focused in on and said, we wanna give you this money. Well, what do you want from us? Nothing. We love what you're doing. You do better this than we can. You're feeding people in our community and giving them coats better than we're able to do that. So we need to support you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Man, you go around the world when natural disasters happen and you offer Jesus and water to people and food and comfort. Thank you for doing that. Let us support you in your ministry. We sent $25,000 out. Let me tell you, the response we got from those people was amazing, especially Agape, whom we have a relationship with. And we, we collect food and we send them the food and we do little things like that. We're collecting coats right now. But when we sent a check as large as we did to Agape last year, I think it was $11,000 went to Agape alone. When, when they get a check, and their budget's very small, and they get a check like that, they freaked out. And I had the director calling me going, oh my gosh, I wanna meet with you. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really wanna meet with you. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, you're welcome, man. It wasn't me, it wasn't my money, it was our church money. We're, thank you for doing what you do. He was so, it was great to hear that. It was great to hear the response. It was so great to be engaged. When you, when you do something like that, you just feel the life of God move because you're stepping into what the kingdom is doing because you focus on something other than yourself. You're generous rather than being miserable. And so th this year we're doing Be Rich Sunday again. We're going to do the first Sunday of December. And we're going to everything we collect on that Sunday, we're going to send out. We're, we've been working for a few months designating the different ministries that we want to walk hand in hand with. And, and, and not just send money to, and the whole, whole point of this is to raise your awareness of them as well, so that maybe you're like, yeah, I wanna get engaged with Agape and begin to go serve down there, or Convoy of Hope, or, or whatever the ministry is. And so we're doing that again this, um, this Christmas on December 1st. At the end of this series, we're gonna focus that, and we're gonna have a ministry fair down in Fellowship Hall, just like we did last year, and have those ministries represented so you can ask questions and, and kind of what we're doing missions-wise, and it's something, a muscle we're trying to build 
in our church because it's something that needs to be built. But it all comes back to this beginning. Where is our hope? What does our hope rest in? Is it in the things of this world, the natural understandings of how we need to operate and how we need to do, or is it in the supernatural? Is it in God? Is it, is it in the one who richly provides? My hope and prayer throughout this, um, this series is that we've, we find ourselves in a place where more and more our trust is being put in him. More and more as this holiday season rolls around and we begin to focus on so many different things, we don't lose sight of the one who has given us all and given us everything, even his very life. This may be an awkward transition, but it may not be. We'll see. I shouldn't have said that. Y'all wouldn't even know. Um, we come to the table this morning, and you, you may, many of you may know it's here, and some of you may be able to see it, but it's covered um, by this a little bit. And it says, in remembrance of me, um, up here on our altar. And, and this is one of the driving factors. It's the driving factor about what we do and how we do everything. In remembrance of me, we do this for Jesus. We do this so that people may know who Jesus is. We do all of these Sunday services so that people can hear that Jesus died and rose again for them. So that the, the, the depression that they live in, so that the hurt and the scars of their life, so that the darkness that they find themselves in can be gone by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what we believe. We believe in a God who is bigger than the things of this world. And, and every month we come and we stop and we take a moment in remembrance of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and say, I will not focus on the things of this world, but I will focus on you. So we come in remembrance of, of his life. But, but today is a special day because today is a day that um, we call All Saints Day in the church world. In the San, greater San Antonio community, we call it Dia de los Muertos, Right? But today is All Saints Day. Today is the day where we come in remembrance. When we come to this table, we come in remembrance, not just of the life of Jesus, but the life of so many people who went before, so many people who carried the cross, so many people who carried the light of Christ, so many people who have gone before to shape St. Andrews and to allow St. Andrews to be here today, and so many people in each one of our lives who made us more who we are who called us to be more like Christ, who lived a life in such a way that we saw who he was. Today is the day we remember them. Now, specifically in this room, we remember four of our members who passed away this year. You, you may have somebody in your life that, that also lost theirs and met Jesus face to face this year. You may have somebody who it wasn't this year, but it was five, 10 years ago, but every time at this of year when this comes around, they just spring to mind in your heart and they just, they just whisper into your ear, I'm still with you. Those people who have shaped you, those people who have led you down a path to help you be who you are. This morning we celebrate Bill Delano, Lois Rimmel, Carol Shivers, Marie Waters. We celebrate these people who, who because of them this place exists because of their service, because of their generosity, because their life, we gather here today and proclaim the name of Jesus. 
Because of the life of Jesus, in remembrance of him, we come. In remembrance of Bill and Lois and Carol and Marie. And, and this morning at the, at the first service, it, I just, my aunt was yelling in my ear. She wasn't saying no, although she did a lot to me. It's my Aunt Corby. One of the reasons my son is named Corbin is after her. She was a wonderful woman in my life. She died many, many, many years ago. In my hymnal, actually, I did her funeral, and in my hymnal still sits her record of death that I see every time I open it up from Cleburne, Texas. Corby Laverne. What a horrible name. I had an Aunt Pete that was her sister. Her name was Beatrice Ophelia, but she went by Pete. So we called her Aunt Pete. She was this tall. But Corby was that woman who I, I just, she spoke into me life when my brother and sister would be beating me down, both physically and emotionally and all the different ways that you've all have heard about. But she was that person who believed in me regardless of what happened. And so today I celebrated her this morning and I prayed for her. And she whispered in my ear, I'm still with you. And your M&Ms and apple juice are still here. Who is that for you? Who is that person for you that has greatly affected your life and touched you in such a deep, wonderful, beautiful way that you can celebrate on this day we call All Saints Day? If you're assisting with communion, I'd ask you to come forward right now. And the rest of you, I'd ask if you would continue with me in an attitude of prayer.